I want to open with this question. Ready? Has a worship song ever wrecked a good scripture verse for you? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Um, a few caveats. We do appreciate song writers. Uh, they're so helpful in uh, helping us to worship the Lord. Um, we love their heart and appreciate their creativity. But uh, have you ever had that experience where you've, you've sung this song and maybe you've sung it too much or it was just a bad song? And now every time you read the scripture, you just go, just wrecks the scripture for me. I can't read it without actually thinking about it. Um, not a particularly present, pleasant experience. Um, anyone else, um, can anyone think of a, a, a Bible verse that's been wrecked by a, a, a song that you want to throw out? This is audience participation time. This could go badly quickly, by the way, but uh, let's just have a crack. Has anyone got one? Yep. Oh, the trees in the field will clap their hands. Does anyone remember that golden oldie? Yeah, yeah, you always hear that one when you read that scripture. Another one? Sorry, was that, did someone say something? Oh, as a deer pants for water. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One more? Which is? Oh. <laughs> Oh, so good. Uh, the one that probably triggers me the most is the one that we're reading today in John chapter 13, right? So it's been, a, uh, it's been an interesting one for me prepping it. But if you've got a Bible here with you, I'd love for you to open it up. Uh, let's have a look at it. John 13, we're going to start at verse 31. Uh, John 13, verse 31. We'll read in the, I'll read in the uh, NIV. John 13, verse 31. When he was gone, this is, uh, this is Judas Iscariot. Remember, the, uh, we, we dealt with the betrayal, or the beginning of the betrayal last week. Uh, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. So this is kind of Jesus hitting the, the go button. It's like the betrayer's gone. Okay, now I've got some things to say to you before I move to my, uh, my death on the cross, which is what... Um, Jesus is talking about, about being glorified. Verse 32, if God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. Here it is, a new command I give you. Love, anyone want to come up and sing it? Uh, new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, will, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. The title for today's message is, uh, uh, as you can see on the screen there, is A Loving Order. And there's at least two different ways to think about uh, the word order. One of the ways that you can uh, think about the word order is order is like being organized. All right? And if you've got kids, you know what that's like when it comes to their bedroom. All right? uh, it's, there's either order or disorder in their bedroom. And when things are ordered, what's going on there is things are in the right relation with one another. They're in the right places. It isn't haphazard. And that's actually what we're going to see about love today, is that there's actually a structure to love and loving. Uh, the different parts of love and loving have got uh, things to do with one another. They're in relationship to one another. And so my hope today is that you'll see this order that exists within love. But another way to understand the word order is, is a particular order in terms of a particular sequential order, that things go one after the other. And what you'll see today is that there's a sequential order to love as well. So not only are things generally ordered when it comes to love, but there's a sequential order to it. And here's the key verses we're going to look at today. Uh, a new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, I want to start here uh, at the, uh, the category of love, the word love. 
And one of the things I found in my time studying is one of the, the most important things you can do right at the very beginning, and you may not notice that I do it when I preach here, but um, I actually do it quite frequently, is you define your terms. Because when you use a term, everyone's thinking lots of different things about the term. And defining it helps you to be on the same page in the discussion. Um, and, and I think, just as a side note, I think this is a really good thing for you to do in conversation with other people as well. People are going to say things and you'll think, I think they mean this, but it's always good if there's any kind of shadow of doubt if you actually just ask. When you say such and such, what do you actually mean by that? Um, and, and what it does is it makes sure that both people are actually talking about the same thing. Now, the English language is notorious for having words which are the same words, but they mean different things in different places. Uh, all right? One of the, the words used to describe this dynamic in the English language is equivocal, which is equivocal. That's, uh, it comes from the Latin equivocal. And, and it's the idea that it, there can be two different voices, even though it's the same, the same word. You, you can have a word that has different senses and different meanings in different contexts. Here endeth the English lesson. Let's have a look at some of the ways that we use the word love. You ready for this? You can love an ice cream, right? You can love your husband and your wife. You can make love. If you have a dog, you can love your dog. Uh, love and cats don't normally go together. <laughs> you can love homeless people. You can love your friend. God loves you. I don't think I need to say any more, right? Uh, definitions are important. I think each of these uh, capture some kind of aspect of what love is. But I want to ask the question, what's in the center of what love is? Because in these verses we're looking at, love is central to what Jesus is saying. And that's a good question. What is the kind of love that Jesus is talking about? How do you define it? Now, the interesting thing about what Jesus is saying in these verses in John chapter 13 is he's saying, love one another as I have loved you, which is past tense. Uh, and what we could do this morning is we could go through all the ways that Jesus had loved them, which I actually did a couple of weeks ago, and say, look, that's how he wants us to love one another. And that, that would be a helpful exercise. But today I actually want to take a different tack into it and help you to see something that I think is uh, really important. Because John's understanding of love is not just present in Jesus' death on the cross, it's present in every single expression of Jesus' love in the lead up to that it's present in all of the past tense moments where Jesus had actually loved them and so what I want to do is I want to take you to uh, the first of John's uh, letters uh, so John wrote uh, the gospel of John which we're working on and he also wrote the uh, first second and third John um, and I want to take you to a really key verse in first John that kind of cashes out the nature of what love is and, and I, I tell you, here's a really good thing for you to do by next Sunday would just be to read the whole of First John. I think it's, I think it's five chapters. Uh, it's quite short. And you will just see contours all over the place that connect in with what we've been doing in John's Gospel. Check this out. This verse here uh, is where John, in First John, defines what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's John's definition of what love is when he talks about it. And it makes all sorts of sense to us, right? Because we are down for self-sacrifice and love being joined together. You lay your life down for another and it's a loving act. No one really ever argues about that. To give your life for someone else in a self-sacrificial act is... Um, unarguably loving now you could by by just reading this verse you could go okay so we need to give our life for someone else like that's the that's what love is but the interesting thing is if you keep reading on after this in first john chapter three uh, you see something really interesting right so here's here's the verse with the 
couple of verses after it. 1 John 3, verse 16 to 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. All right? And you could be thinking, okay, literally give your life for someone else. And then John goes on to help you to understand one of the things he's talking about. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but but with actions and in truth. Well, what's the call here? The call here is not about literally laying your life down. The application is about you having some things, someone else being in need, and you giving up the things that you have so that the other person can have some life. Does that make sense? That's what's going on here. So there's a sense in which you give up your life so they can have life that's that's kind of the big idea here you give up some of your life so they can have more life that's the idea and i want you to hear this because this is what underpins love love is about giving up your life so someone else can have life it's it's just how it works It's a kind of self-sacrificial transaction. You give up life and other people get it. This is how it works for Jesus on the cross. And it's actually how it works in every other moment where Jesus loves people. Let me give you an example of how this works. Very simple example. Uh, My wife and I have four sons. And uh, there have been many, many times uh, with our children where they have gotten into trouble in one way or another whether it be at school physical injury not knowing how to do something or just getting into a bad place and needing some wisdom Uh, two of our boys uh, have had bad mountain biking accidents (laughs) all right Um, they got significantly hurt and 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 you know what happened is they for whatever reason both of them actually went over a jump and ended up coming off second best on the other side and they're lying on the ground injured and in need of help now what do you do when you go and help your son um, when they're lying on the ground injured right you do what you can you get alongside there so it doesn't matter what you were doing you get over there and you try and help it right it's a no-brainer and, and you know that's a loving thing to do is it everyone with me that that's a loving thing to do yeah it's a very loving thing to do and no one really questions that i mean if you didn't go and help someone that would be a very unloving thing if you didn't go and help your child who was injured but i want you to notice something what's happening in that moment when i go over and help my son who's injured on the ground i'm foregoing part of the life that i could have had to give life to my son does that make sense I'm foregoing the time, the energy that I could have committed to myself. I'm saying, I'm not going to have that. I'm not going to keep that. I'm going to go over and I'm going to give it to you. That's what I'm going to do. Um, so that you can have life. And I don't mean that in a literal sense. None of it was life-threatening with the kids. But you get, you get the point, right? Um, and, and that's how it works. And I think that is actually what John's saying here in First John, is that you take some of the stuff that is your, in inverted commas, life, and you actually give it away that's what you do and that's how it always works with love it doesn't matter what loving thing that you do it doesn't matter how small it is or how big it is from the smallest act of love right up to giving your life to someone every single act of love involves you taking some things that were your life that were yours and giving them to someone else so someone else can have more life and so you can actually sum up love this way The essence of love is giving yourself to another person. That's what it is. Whether you do that in total or whether you do it piece by piece. I mean, Jesus does it uh, in total on the cross, right? But before that, he did it in countless smaller ways. This This is why you read verses like this 
in John's Gospel, arguably the most famous verse of all time, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He gives himself to you. He gives his Son to you. That's the nature of what love is. And when you think about what love is, the the more significant and more precious the part of you that you give, the more loving you actually are, the greater the sacrifice, the more loving you are. And if you give your one and only son, you're a pretty loving person. Is everyone happy with that? Is that is that fair enough? Is this is this making sense? Okay. Side note. This also helps us to understand how death spreads in the world, right? Because here's the rule, and this is the rule. It's always been this way. You can only get life when other people give it to you. You can't get life by taking it. And you see that the whole way through the Scriptures. If you steal life, what you get is you get death, and the other person gets death. But if someone chooses to self-sacrifice... And to give you part of their life, you'll get life. That's how it works. And that's why when people are being really, really selfish, it doesn't work. Because the, the, it's like that, the hardwiring of the universe. <laughs> that you get life when someone gives it to you self-sacrificially. You don't get it by taking it or stealing it from other people. Take it from others and in the end you only get death. So... Now you know what love is. Uh, you probably knew a lot of that already, but I want to go back to the verses in the section today. And what we're going to see is the beginnings of the order of love. And here's the first part that we see in these verses. And it's this, God always goes first. Come back with me to the verses and you command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Who's going first? Well, God's going first. Jesus went first. And so here's here's the question that we could ask. If loving another person is about giving yourself to them, the next question is who goes first? And the reality is that God always goes first. And you need to know this is like a super, super special reality, right? Because this, this is the question, right? Because everyone here, and I believe all of you, are really happy to love when everything's going well, right? But when a relationship gets to a tricky place and it gets to an intense conflict place, the really, really important question is who's going to go first? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? There's probably even some husbands and wives today who are in that place right now, right? You had a fight last night and it's tense between the two of you and it's like, who's going to go first? Who's going to love first? Um... Why is that such a critical question? Well, it's such a critical question because when a relationship gets to an intense conflict place, and I'm not just talking about husbands and wives, I'm talking about friends as well, it's actually less safe relationally. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not putting it out there. I'm going to wait for the other person to go first. I want them to actually take the risk first. Do you, um, do you know what I'm talking about? In your family, uh, with a friend, with your spouse. And the reason why loving is so dangerous is because when you love well, you do exactly what I was talking about before. You actually give yourself to the other person. And if you're in the middle of conflict with the other person, that's really dangerous at that point. They They might stomp all over you. That's the risk, right? Um... And that's why we often end up in an impasse in relationships is because we end up in this place that's like, I don't really want to go first. And the other person's going, I don't really want to go first either. And then it's just ice at that point because someone needs to start. Someone needs to put themselves out there. Now, I want to say this to you. There isn't a more dangerous context in which to love than the one in which God loves, right? There isn't a more dangerous context in which to love 
than the one in which God loves. Why? Because God's children are in rebellion against him. They've turned on him. I mean, there's treason underway with God's children. They don't care about God at all. There's this uh, quote from the Old Testament in Romans chapter 3, which cashes out the context in which God loves. And uh, I just want to read through it with you um, so you can get a picture of it. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. and the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's your context between God and humanity. He's holy. We're not. Here's the question. Who's going to go first in that context? Certainly not us. I mean, that's, that's what the scripture says. Uh, we are not even interested in loving him. And I want to say this, to choose to love in this context is precarious. It is precarious. Now, I'm not saying it's risky, as though God has no control. Sometimes you hear in the church and sometimes even in worship songs that God's a risk taker. Well, God, when you're all knowing and you're sovereign, there's no such thing as taking a risk. Um, it, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't make sense. But precarious is more about danger or being exposed to harm. Does God ever put himself in a place where, he's, where it's precarious and he's exposed to harm or to danger? You bet he does. You bet he does. That's exactly what he does by taking on flesh in the, in the person of Jesus. But get it into your head that God always goes first. There's never going to be an impasse in loving between you and him where he's waiting for you to go first. Never. In fact, there will be every single time you end up in, in an impasse or you feel like there's an impasse between you and God, he's already gone first. He's already gone first. He starts, we follow. That's, that's kind of the order of love, is that he starts and we follow. Uh, you see this all over Scripture, but again... John, in his first epistle, nails this down. In 1 John 4, verse 19, so simply, we love because he first loved us. Sure, there's a normal back and flow in a relationship. We do love God. But like I said before, in every single situation, in every impasse, in every loving exchange between you and God, he's gone first. It's his inclination. <laughs> Think about this um, more personally. You will never, ever get in a situation where God will not love, be loving you first. Let me give you some examples. On ongoing sin patterns. You know, you can get in an ongoing sin pattern. You can be holding out, going back to God because you think, oh, he's, he's holding out on me. And you can end up in an impasse. It's just, it's not, it's not true. It's not right. You could be in the midst of trouble. You feel like God's withholding. No, nope. he goes first. He always goes first. Trouble, relational difficulties, family problems, work arrangements, finances, you name it. Here is the bedrock for living a secure life. When it comes to love, God always goes first, all right? Lock that in as the bedrock for your life. Bank on it, anchor to it, settle into it. God will be the relational icebreaker every single time when it gets difficult between the two of you. Let's go back to the passage again. And, and, and what we're going to see here is, is another part in the order of love and it's the connection between being loved and loving. Let's go back to the text again. New command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Now, I want you to see something here. Um, and in, in seeing what I want you to see, I'm going to ask you a question. or helping you to see what you need to see. I'll ask you this question. How do you become a more loving person? Good question, right? How do, you, how do you become a more loving person? This is the point of what Jesus is saying in these two verses. He wants you to become a more loving person. So how do you become a more loving, a loving person? Right? Now, before I answer that, I'm going to ask you another question. <laughs> right? uh, and it's this question. And we've answered this partially. How do you know what love is? Now, we've dealt with this a bit. It's, it's, it's you giving yourself to another. Um, but Jesus, in these verses, is helping the disciples to see what love is. And what does he say? He says, love one another as I have loved you. Now, what's interesting about the statement is at the start of it, he goes, a new commandment I give unto you. And it raises the question, wasn't there already a standard for loving one another? Wasn't there already a commandment of sorts? And you, you need to know that absolutely there was. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 19, that's where we first actually see it. And it's this verse here, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, you should go and read Leviticus chapter 19, right? And it's not weird rules about blood and killing animals and all that sort of stuff. It, most of the chapter is about how you love people. And so um, it, it says things before this, it says things like don't steal, don't lie, don't deceive one another, don't hold back the wages of a worker. You can just go through and read all these different scenarios in there. And this verse seems to be a bit of a mopping up kind of statement at the end of it. And it's like, right, I've just given you like, it's not literally this, but I just gave you 20 different scenarios of what it looks like to love your neighbor. Now, wherever you find yourself in a scenario where you don't know what the answer is, love them as you'd love yourself. And, and the standard given in Leviticus chapter 19 for love is the way that you love yourself. Now, it's not saying that you need to go out and love yourself so you can love your neighbor. That's just a heap of rubbish, right? And people have kind of argued that from the scriptures. I think Leviticus 19, and when Jesus quotes it, he's saying you already do love yourself. So just love your neighbor like that. You already do want the best for yourself. Um, you want your life to go well. You want to eat. You want to sleep. You want good things to happen to you. And, and I think this verse is saying, aim up like that for, uh, for your neighbor. Use that as your standard. Now, the interesting thing that we see here with Jesus is he's switching the standard at this point, isn't he? And the reason why he's switching the standard is because there's a new era. Um, and the standard now for loving is not just what you want to happen to you. It's the way that Jesus loves. That's the new standard uh, for loving, uh, not just your own self-interest. And the interesting thing that Jesus is saying in verse 30, um, 34 and 35 here is um, it's actually not a love that Jesus expects you to have for everyone. It's actually a love that's meant to happen between all of his children, all people who call themselves Christian, a special love between those in his family. Now, the way that Jesus loved the disciples was amazing, wasn't it? And, and uh, I'll talk a little bit more of this uh, when I close, but um, talk a little bit more about it when I close, because I think one of the things that has happened uh, in my experience uh, in, uh, as being a Christian is, is the, the idea of being loving is kind of quite narrow and it's kind of permissive and um, and it's gracious and merciful and, 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 and forgiving. But who knows that when you read through the way that Jesus loved the disciples, it wasn't only those things. It was all also corrective. Like it's loving to be corrective. Uh, it, it's, it's loving to actually take people somewhere. Jesus had an agenda with the disciples. It was humble. It was persevering. Sometimes Jesus had the hard conversations with the disciples and sometimes he didn't. It was actually a very broad definition of love. 
But you see here the standard now is the way that he loves, not our own self-interest. And that's a significant shift. So we come back to the question I asked you um, a few moments ago, and it's, it's this one. Uh, how do you become a more loving person? This is a critical question because this is what Jesus is up to. It's what he's aiming for. And his objective is that the disciples would become more loving people. That's what his objective is. Jesus wants his disciples to be so good at loving one another that the world sees Jesus in them. That's what he wants. And that's what he wants for us. It's the same command. The new command that he gave the disciples is a command for us. We are to be so good at loving one another that the world looks at us and sees Jesus. Now, part of this new command of Jesus, I think, is meant to jolt us, right? Where you just go, oh, man. I was on a hiding to nothing to love someone the way that I love myself and now you're just going to lift the bar about, you know, it's like doing high jump and you've gone from, you know, 1.95 metres to about 700 metres. It's like I'm no chance now of actually doing this. And that's why this question is really important because the issue here is not your ability to go out and do something, it's about how do you become a more loving person? And all of us need to become more loving people right? Is, is everyone with me? We're doing okay, but we need to become more loving. And so this question is a really important question. How do you become more loving? So what I want to start with is I want to start with the aberration or the, the way not to do it, and then I'll uh, show you how I think um, Jesus would have you do it. Uh, one of the words that pops up in these two verses by Jesus is the word disciples. Disciples are common in the first century. They weren't just restricted to religious areas and religious leaders. There were many people who were disciples of a particular teacher. And the goal of a disciple is to become like their teacher. They'd watch them, they'd be taught by them, and then they would imitate them, which is it's fair enough as far as it goes. But this tends to be the place where the aberration in the way that we love starts to get messy, Right? Um, because what we do is we look at verses like this and we go, Jesus is setting a really high standard. He sets it. And, and our instinct is to look at the standard that he set and try to imitate him. Now, I think we should, right? And, and I think Jesus would just jar us in the way, that we, um, the way that we love and say, you need to be more like me. But, but... I also want to say that if imitation and trying harder are the engine room of you becoming a more loving person, then you have the cart before the horse. <laughs> All right? You have the cart before the horse at that point. I'm not saying that imitation's a problem. I'm not saying that there aren't times where you just need to work hard to love people and it's hard to do it in the right spirit. I'm just saying... That if you take imitation and working harder to be a more loving person and you put it in the center of how you become a more loving person, it's not actually going to work particularly well. Have a look at this picture. Is that going to work? Yes or no? Some of you go, well, kind of, right? It'll kind of work, but not very well, Right? And, and if you put imitation of Jesus and working hard at trying to be like him in the center of becoming a more loving person, it will kind of work. It will kind of work. But not very well, like this picture. All right? Why? Because you actually have it the wrong way around. <laughs> you've, got, you've got the cart before the horse. You don't become a more loving person by trying harder. That's not how you become a more loving person. You may a little, but here's what happens if becoming a more loving person is dependent upon your effort. When you succeed, you'll be proud, and when you fail, you'll, you'll despair. Because the engine in the center of it is trying harder. 
it, it's, it's actually going to end up being a legalistic treadmill that you're on that doesn't take you anywhere. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Does this, is this making sense? I'll clear, clear the rest up with the other 200 of you at the end. Um, so, so we come back to the same question again. If effort in the center isn't going to make you a more loving person, how do you become a more loving person? Where's the starting point? What's the context for it? Well, Jesus actually gave it to you in the verses. It's in verse 34. Love one another as I've loved you. So you don't run off and try harder. Now, again, I'm not saying that love isn't hard sometimes. And I'm not saying that there aren't some times where you just got to have some grip when you love people, right? I'm just saying that if you put working hard and grit in the center of becoming a more loving person, it's not going to work for you. It just won't. Why? Because this is what Jesus is saying. You love from a place of being loved. That's what you do. You love from a place of being loved. You see, the more you understand and the deeper your revelation of God's love for you, the more you are going to be a loving person. Did you hear that? The more you get your head around the depth and the profundity of God's love for you, the more loving you'll become. You see, you see this the whole way through the scriptures pretty much, is that when God loves you, it changes you and it makes you a more loving person. Remember last week? Who did John likely John, describe himself as, back in verse 23 from last week, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. And, and here's, now please, I don't mean to be rude, but everyone in this room has got people around them that are really hard to love. Is it anyone willing to confess to that? Come on, you can actually put your hands up. Do you have someone that's hard to love? All right? Now, come on, be honest. Don't be lame. You all do, right? Have you ever considered how hard it is for God to love you? Have you? You're really frustrating to love sometimes. I am. And sometimes I think, for example, we could actually pause with these people that are really hard to love around us and we could just stop for a moment and just go, I wonder how hard it is for the Lord to love me. And I'll tell you something, if you get a revelation of how God loves you, even in all of those really hard places where it is to love you, you're probably going to become more loving to those people who are hard to love. You see what I'm saying? You know, our habit is to give ourselves more grace than we give other people, most of the time. Um, Sometimes it isn't, but by and large, this is the case. Dive into God's love for you, and you'll end up being changed because there's a connection between God loving you and you being a loving person. And I would ask you this question today. Where is your understanding of God's love up to at the moment? And I don't mean generally, I mean his love for you. Do you know how loved you are? here's the bottom line if you are distant from God and unclear about his love for you your your love for other people will be patchy the clearer you are the more certain you are the more that's the bedrock to your life the more loving you're going to be to people around you you can see this in um, 1 John 4 again seriously you need to read 1 John this week Uh, We love because he first loved us. There it is. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Um, It's kind of saying you're not even saved 
Because when God's loved you, it makes you a loving person to other people. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. There's a connection between being loved and loving. And John's saying in no uncertain terms here, it's normal for someone who's loved by God to love their brother and their sister in the church in the same way. And the point is that when we do that, the world's meant to look at it and go, oh my goodness. That's unusual, <laughs> right? That's unusual. You know, there's, there's two categories that I think are a challenge for us in terms of the love that we have for one another being unique. And I'll put them in uh, spatial categories. So one of them is height and the other one is, is width. Um, because sometimes... Um, I don't know whether you've noticed, but um, there are some very loving um, people who are not Christians. Have you noticed that? And they do some very loving things for each other. And even though some of our upbringings probably taught us to try and find some evil motive to what they're doing, let's just give them some points and just say, you're actually a really loving person. I have seen people who are not Christians be more loving than a lot of Christians I've met. All right, let's just be honest about that. And, and, have you? You have, right? Um, which is, that's a bit sad, right? Uh, that's a bit sad. Um, but but let, me, let me just cash it out with these two categories of height and, and, and width. Um, thinking height. There are loving things that we do for one another that just need to be taller higher um, than, than maybe what they currently are. So if you think about them, that there's probably some equivalent things that you can see people who aren't Christians and they're loving each other and it's like, okay, well, one challenge that we've got in front of us in terms of loving the way that Jesus is saying is we just need to do higher. We need to have a, a higher intensity uh, of those same things. There probably needs to be a, a bit more sacrifice uh, in there rather than us just giving ourselves to one another in a way that is similar to uh, people who aren't Christians. Um, that's good as far as it goes, but I'd just ask, is there another level that we could go to? Um, maybe Jesus is calling you and I, us, to a higher level of intensity when it comes to the way that we love one another. Um, what about breadth? Um, well, I think um, Jesus calls us to have a broader definition of love um, than what we currently do a lot of the time. Here's, let me give you an example. A Jesus definition of love might mean that we walk right back into the middle of a conflict situation and speak some truth in love. Now, that's not something that you always see, Right? Um, that might be something that you don't see people in, uh, who aren't Christians do at times. doesn't really fit the category, right? You know, the, the big category of love in our culture at the moment is permissiveness. You've got to give people permission to do whatever they want to do and you have to love them in whatever choice that they make. Well, we have a bigger picture of love than that, don't we? <laughs> we kind of get involved in things because we know there's not a person in this room that makes decisions that are good for theirs and everyone else's interest all the time. We've got a much bigger picture than that. And so height, maybe there's more intensity to the way that we love in those ways that are similar to people who aren't Christians. And then breadth, maybe we just get involved in things and we, we move back into situations wisely that perhaps people who aren't Christians wouldn't do. Now, I'm just about done. But I want to make a few comments about us as a church uh, for a moment, okay? Um, we, we had our first service here on the 6th of February last year, okay? And it, it is amazing 
um, that the Lord's given us a space to actually meet in. I don't know whether you remember, but for those, who was, who was at TCC when we were meeting there from 8 on 9.30? Put your hand up. Cool. So we, we had all these new people, it was probably a bunch of you came and joined the church in that time uh, when we were meeting at TCC. But for those who didn't know, uh, we had to be out of the building at 9.30. And so we had all these new people come to the church and then we tried to move everyone into a smaller hall out the back and a whole bunch of people left. And so we had all these new people and we were talking to the people who had been around for a bit and then we were packed in this tight little hall giving each other COVID because um, it wasn't one to four square metres or whatever in there. Um, not that it was the rule at that point in time, but we tried to get outside sometimes and we just tried to facilitate that. We had a coffee van that would actually come along to just try and help people to talk. But geez, it was just an uphill battle. Does anyone remember those wonderful days? Yeah. And so we ended up getting this building and you know what the really cool thing was, and, it's, and even now, and I've had people say to me, they say, you know, it's amazing I could just stand here and I could just watch people talk. And now, as a church, we, we drink coffee and we talk often until midday. And how good is it? Isn't it good? And, and it's kind of like, we're actually, we actually look like we like each other. That's, that's, what, it, that's what it looks like, right? Um, let me, and that's been an awesome kind of move, right? And I mean that. It has been an awesome move, literally, physically, but also just a change in the way that we're doing business after churches. Let me give you another thing that's kind of changed slowly over time. This is awesome too, all right? Um, it wasn't, I think it was two years July, I think, that we put uh, Tom Bizzle on as, uh, as family's pastor, right? And I don't know whether anyone noticed this, but I noticed it and Tom big time noticed it. But if you go back two years to July, in 2021, do you know something about the youth in this church? They never talked to each other. They just didn't after church. You know what they'd do? They'd all stand next to their parents and none of them would talk to each other. And so Tom, you didn't know it at the time, but Tom at times would go and stand up the back of the church and watch and there would be all these youth at church and none of them would be talking to each other. It's not so much the case anymore right? So the, the youth are talking to each other They're, because there's a youth activity, that a, a youth night that happens every Friday night during school terms and they're getting to know each other and they're moving toward one another. And so I think what we're on is we're on a journey as a church of moving toward one another in all, all these kind of areas. Now, let me tell you one particular area in, you know, my email is peterm at restorationchurch.com.au so if you want to ask any questions or have anything to say just just send it there M's my middle name it's a <laughs> let me just tell you and by observation an area that could keep growing in that direction and it's a young adult Those who've left school through to about 30. Um, you guys don't talk that much after church. Just saying. And um, it's just, it's, it's a bit noticeable sometimes, to be honest. Um, and I'm, I don't say it to rouse on you. It's just, here's, here's an opportunity for you, right? If Jesus is saying, love one another as I've loved you, I just want to encourage you. Let's... Just a love for you. And I know that there's a bit of stuff happening with uh, young adults, and I think that's awesome. All right? And um, so I, I, th I think you're on the way, but I, I'm just, I just want to give you a nudge. All right? That after church, just move toward each other. Go and say good day. Um, and seriously, it'll be like dying to self big time for introverts to do that. All right? And there's probably a bunch of introverts amongst you. But, but die to yourself. And go and give life to someone else. And I want to give the introverts a rap for a minute. Who, who knows that they're an introvert? Oh, come on. You wouldn't put your hand up anyway, would you? <laughs> I don't want to get out there so people see me. I get it. I've got a good slice of introvert. Extroverts are great at working in the crowd. Introverts are great at doing deep relationships with people. 
all right? It tends to be the way, all right? Extroverts, if they can both change roles sometimes, right? And I'm not saying extroverts can't actually do deep relationships with people, but introverts are really good at that. So you have that to give people. Um, and I would just encourage you to, to love one another. As Jesus has welcomed you, welcome one another. And, um, and give life to each other. And uh, I, don't, I don't think the youth are done. I don't think the adults are done. I think we've all got more to go. All right? Um, so it's not like the others are nailed and the young adults aren't. We've all got some ways that we can grow. And I want to finish here. Um, I want to ask you this question. Who here needs a deeper revelation of Jesus' love for them? Who here needs a deeper revelation of Jesus' love for them? You know, we, we can get like children with their parents, right? Um, I suspect most children under 18, if you go up to them and say, can you think of a whole bunch of ways that your parents love you? They probably will think of maybe two. You know, it's like, oh, geez. I don't know, maybe mum cooked me dinner last night or something. Do you get what I'm saying? There's, there's, a, there's a pattern that you can get in as a child where it's just like you just don't notice all the things, all the expressions of love, the ways that you're being loved. Maybe your kids would do better than that. Some of you think they better do better than that. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think we just need to slow down and just think about it, you know. Because if I asked you, do you... What are all the ways that God loves you? I don't know, maybe you'd have that. The kid syndrome and just say, oh, I think I can think of two. Who here needs a deeper revelation of God's love for them? Well, how do you get it? Well, one of the ways you get it uh, that we see in Scripture, and I'll close on this, is, um, is by praying. For this reason, Paul writes in Ephesians 3, for this reason I kneel before the Father. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell on your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high, see where I borrowed the terms, right? And deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know, I could ask you, do you know that God loves you? And you go, yes, I do. And I'd say, not enough. Right? Because the prayer here in verse 19 is about knowing this love that surpasses knowledge. You might be doing pretty well. Um, but there's more revelation of God's love for you to be had than that. And you might be doing really poorly at the moment, and I would say to you, there's more revelation of God's love for you to have than that.